I'm Silas Farley, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Hear the Dance. In this episode, we will turn our focus to a small-scale gem of a ballet by George Balanchine called The Steadfast Tin Soldier. The ballet is based on a story of the same name by the legendary Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. The story tells of a one-legged tin soldier and his love for a paper ballerina doll. Balanchine's original tin soldier was the Danish dancer Peter Schaufus, and the role of the doll was originally danced by Patricia McBride, who is affectionately known as Patty. The ballet's music is from Jeux d'Enfants, Children's Games, by Georges Bizet. The work was commissioned by the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, which is City Ballet's summer home and where this ballet premiered in 1975. For a deeper background to this episode, I highly recommend you listen to episode two of this podcast, entitled A History of New York City Ballet, and episode 23, which is a conversation I had with Patty about her extraordinary 30-year career with City Ballet, with special attention to the role Balanchine made for her in his ballet Rubies. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Peter Schalfus and Patty for a wide-ranging discussion about the Steadfast Tin Soldier, the role of the arts in Danish culture, the opening of the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, and much more. Listening to Peter and Patty is a masterclass in ballet history. You'll hear them speak about many key figures in the art form's development, including the 19th century Danish ballet master and choreographer August Bornenville, the influential Danish teacher Stanley Williams, the Royal Ballet's visionary founder, Dame Nanette de Valois, the Bolshoi ballerina, Galina Yulanova, the Balanchine ballerina, Tanaki Leclerc, known as Tanny, and the two defining British choreographers, Sir Frederick Ashton and Sir Kenneth Macmillan. My conversation with Peter and Patty began with them catching up, as this was the first time they'd seen each other in over 40 years. They chatted a bit about what they'd been up to since City Ballet. Peter had gone on, among many other accomplishments, to direct the London Festival Ballet, where he changed the name to English National Ballet and established a school. Patty had gone on to become the Associate Artistic Director and Master Teacher at Charlotte Ballet, which is now directed by Peter's former student, Hope Muir. Let's listen in. to see you too. It's 40, <laughs> more than 40 years. More than 40 years. Isn't more that you've been years. doing a lot? You've been doing so much. So have you. All over the world. You, you, you have created a fantastic place in Charlotte. Fantastic yes, company, cool building, uh, incredible. Yes, it's wonderful. It's, yeah. it's very nice. And I guess Hope, you were her mentor. She's now the director of the she company. She was one of my founding pupils at English National Ballet School. Right, right. That's bad. It, it's bad enough when one student starts getting contracted as dancers. But when they start becoming directors, then you know, you're really old. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia McBride, Peter Schalfus, welcome to the Hear the Dance podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's 45 years ago. Since we did the step first. It's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> 19, 1975. I know, it's amazing. It's remarkable. Remarkable. Peter, you were born in Denmark and are a product of Copenhagen's famed Royal Danish Ballet. And your family is also deeply connected to that institution. 
what was your upbringing and your training like there? I only remember being in the theater, to be honest with you, because uh, my parents brought me to the theater when they couldn't get a babysitter. I spent most of my very early years in my mother's dressing room. So there was no other life for me, really. My parents, Mona Vangso, and my, my father, Frank Schaufus, was both principal dancers in the Royal Danish Ballet. I saw them as a student when the Royal Danish Ballet came to New York at the old Met Metropolitan Opera, I believe. No, and it was magnificent. 1956, magnificent. they had a season there. My mother did the first night of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, wow, and My father did the Kult show on the first night. And that's oh, basically what made the, the Royal Danish Ballet because that's what made them famous that 1956 yes. season. They did one week of Romeo and Juliet and they did one week of the full length Napoli. And I, I will mention my sister as well. We were a dancing family. My sister uh, is, is quite a famous actress in Denmark. She's older than me, but she actually joined the drama company. In, in Copenhagen, the, the ballet, the opera, the drama and the orchestra was all in the same house. And we had two buildings. So it was all very much like that. I, I joined the Royal Danish Ballet School when I was seven. And that was in the same place as where I had been in my mother's dressing room. So I never, I've never really known a life outside the theater, um, which is very strange, of course, because I, I, for many years, I thought there wasn't another life outside the theater. You know, when I was in my mother's dressing room, the door to the flyers down on the stage was directly opposite. And, you know, I watched most of the ballets there when I was four or five years old. The guys that was working the flyers took care of me. And I watched all the ballets from there. And uh, I saw the kids, you know, on stage in Napoli and Les Feed and all these ballets. And then I said, you know, I want to go and, and I want to be a dancer. Well, so they took me to the audition and I, I passed and uh, I was there ever since. I mean, until I left, I went, I returned later. That's another story. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my early childhood was just being in the theater and getting it all in from a very early age. And what are some of the roles that you remember seeing your mother and father dance? Of course, uh, what made a great impact on me was Aston's Romeo and Juliet, because it was created for them and created in 1955 in Copenhagen. And uh, I remember Ashton coming to our house for dinner. And I remember sitting on his lap. You know, I, I never knew later on in life I was, he was going to have a big influence in my, in my life. But, you know, Roland Petit was there, came for dinner. Mr. B didn't come for dinner when he was there. Um, but I saw him, I remember seeing him taking rehearsal on stage. I think my mother was rehearsing, so I think she had put me out in the audience and I was watching him taking rehearsals. And I remember that my parents, when we had dinner at night, were saying, yeah, he's really here, you know, because his wife has polio um, at the Blytham, you know, hospital. And so I, I knew that already then. But again, I didn't know that I was he was going to have a big influence on my life later on as well. Although it was very, my, my stay with New York City Ballet was, was only three years, of course.
but a lot was crammed into those three years. Not just learning a lot of ballads, but a lot of emotion was also. It was quite emotional being a part of New York City Ballet. I mean, uh, the, I think we were 104 dancers, but it was run by a small company. It was just run by Mr. B and uh, Rosemary, the ballet mistress. And Jerry was there occasionally with, with Tony Abbott always sitting on his knee next to him. But that was it. That was it. And, and everybody got on. It was, it was a big shock for me when I first arrived there. And there was three ball different ballets on every night for like 12 weeks. And everybody just knew the ballets. It was, it was, it was quite amazing. I'm, I feel I'm very, very fortunate to be, have been a part of that. I would call it almost a club because when you meet people from that time, they all feel a certain um, uh, togetherness because we've all experienced something which was unique, something which will never happen again. Working with people that you will never work with again in a time which was very, very special, I think for, for ballet as well. It was perhaps a golden age, a second golden age. Maybe there was a golden age in the early uh, 20th century. But this was very, very unique, the way we worked. And Peter, ballet has a very almost exalted role in Danish culture. Could you share with us about that and the influence of Bournemouth there? It was only when I, when I left Denmark, uh, very early I went to, to um, the National Ballet of Canada as a soloist straight from the school. And I realized that it wasn't the same as it was in Denmark. I'd only been brought up, it was a normal job to be a dancer. And then you go to Canada and you would go to some people's house and, and they would say, what do you do? Oh, um, I'm a ballet dancer. And they would almost take a step back, you know, like, oh, you're a ballet dancer. What's that? Oh. But you know, in, my, in, 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 in Denmark, it was just, some people played football and some people danced ballet. <laughs> it was, there, was no, there was no difference. You're just like everybody else in the society. And of course, I would, I would almost compare it to boxing in America. It's a way out of poverty. In Denmark, it was very much a way out of poverty for some people. If they could get their child into the ballet school, they knew that if the kid um, was successful and would graduate, it would be taken into the company and he would have a contract for life. And when they retire, they would have a pension for life. This has of course all changed now a bit, but in those days it was very much like that. My parents had both big pensions they could live on the rest of their lives. This was all due to, um, to Bonneville because he really made it an art form that everybody could go and watch. And if you look at all his ballets, there are very few, there's, there's only really a couple of ballets, which is about Denmark, the uh, folktale and the lifeguards of Armagh. And then far from Denmark, but that takes, that takes place in the West Indies. But all his other ballets are either Napoli or uh, it takes place in Italy, in Naples, of course. There's, you know, the Torridor, which takes place in Spain. 
Last Two Feet, Scotland. I mean, there's all the ballads are about bringing different cultures back to Copenhagen because there was no television, there was no movies, there was just books. And we're getting to Chris, Hans Christian Andersen in a minute. There was only books, so you could dream. But with Bonneville Ballads, you could see the different countries and the different cultures. And, and, and he made it really a spectacle that way. So people went to see his, his ballads and he had to produce another ballad next year. I mean, he, very much like Mr. B. He had to produce all the time because the people were craving new things, new things, new things. So uh, yeah, he's really responsible for all that and for organizing it. And, uh, and I mean, he was ballet master there uh, for nearly 50 years continuously, with a few breaks, of course. Yeah. And Peter, Mr. Balanchine had a long relationship with Royal Danish Ballet, with the company, with the dancers. And what was Balanchine's influence there? Well, first, when he came, uh, I believe he came in 1930, 31, and he stayed there. He was there for quite a while because he was invited. He did Apollo there. I think it might have been the first Apollo outside, you know, uh, Jagilev's company. That's correct. And the fun thing is that the, the dancer that Mr. Balanchine cast to be the first dance Apollo was Peter Martin's uncle. Of course, Leif Wernberg. Yeah. Now, uh, the reason why Balanchine was there, and this is the laughable uh, thing now, was because they wanted Fokin's ballets. So they invited him. If he could do put on three of Fokin's ballets, then he was allowed to do one of his own. And that was Apollo. So that was it. He was there staging Fokin's ballets. And I think he stayed in Copenhagen for, for, for you know, more than a year, you know, gathering what he was actually going to do with his life, I think. If we would have been a bit more clever there, you know, we should have kept him there. <laughs> and then as fate would have it, he would meet Lincoln Kirstein two years later and end up in New York. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. But I also think that his influence became stronger in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. I would say really when, when a lot of Danish male dancers went there, it, be it became much... Um, much much stronger the ties. I remember whenever whenever he was there, you know, my parents were were in the in the ballets. I remember Symphony in C, you know, my parents dancing in the second movement. I, I remember that. And, and Symphony in C, of course, when I came to New York City Ballet, and we were all wearing white socks and black shoes, you know, I had grown up with Symphony in C with colors and chandeliers and, you know very much the French version, I think, that we had. Uh, so I was, I couldn't, oh, right, okay. That's what he wanted to look like now. And then I understood it, of course, I understood it. Cutting all, cutting all the, cutting everything away, you know, to get to the essence of what we're actually doing. I didn't like the white socks and the black shoes, so. <laughs> I think it did get changed to black socks and black shoes in the end. Peter, there's an amazing bit of ballet history here when Mr. Balanchine's then wife, Tanaki Leclerc, was stricken with polio while New York City Ballet was on tour in Denmark. He then would stay, he stayed there for some time and helping her as she was, you know, processing all of this. And he would, for solace and consolation, he was doing some work with the Royal Danish Ballet at that time. And he, and he met a teacher there that became really influential here in New York. Could you share with us a little bit about that? 
when, when he was there, he had obviously heard there was this young guy, Stanley Williams, because Stanley was young then, like we all were at one time. And, and Stanley has actually told me the story. The children's class was nine o'clock at the theater at that time. And he basically came unannounced and he just came and he said, oh, do you mind if I'm watching your, your class? And, and Stanley sort of did not, yes, of course you can sit down and watch my class. But he didn't know the influence that, that Mr. B was going to have on him later on in his life. Stanley said, I just told him to sit down and watch if he wanted to. But it's funny that connection, all those, all those years before, he could remember when he wanted a teacher, that there was a very good teacher there. And Stanley had just started teaching the, the, the children. And the first time I remember Stanley, I had probably passed him as, as a child in my mother's dressing room earlier on. But the first time I really remember, it must be 1955, I think, you know, when I was a really, we had a small apartment in Venerskel in Copenhagen. It wasn't large. Um, and I remember four people carrying up half a pig. It was dead, of course. My father had ties to farmers. My father always liked farming. And you must remember in 1955, it was only 10 years after the Second World War. So they had gone, gone and bought this half pig and the people that carried this hard pick up to our apartment on the second floor, up the stairs, was Stanley, Fred Bjorn Bjornsson, Eric Brun, and my dad. And it went up to the kitchen and they cut pieces and they all wrapped it in newspaper and they all went home with it. That's the first time I remember Stanley. And also, I think, Eric and Fred Bjorn Bjornsson for that. I mean because I was more interested in the pig, I think, than, than people, but they were carrying this monster uh, up the, the, the stairs. Daniel was a pretty good dancer, but he was, he was desperately scared of, of turns. You, you could see this fright in his eyes every time he made a preparation for a turn. And I'm always thinking afterwards, you know, he was really my teacher. And basically he taught me to turn and I became very good at turning. And perhaps it was because he analyzed it so much, he could teach it, but he didn't have the flair for it himself. But he basically could really technically tell me how, you know, how to turn. So a uh, wonderful man. Well, and it's fascinating too, Peter, because we have a similar tradition that Balanchine developed here where people that are still dancing in New York City Ballet are also teaching at the school. So we had that experience as SAB students of going to watch our teachers. Right, right. Going. So you want them to do well. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, Mr. Balanchine brought Stanley for the men. And it was amazing. And all the women were flocking to Stanley's classes also. <laughs> we love Stanley. And... Stanley and Mr. B, the style works so well. It went worked so beautifully. You could do Stanley's class and do a Balanchine ballet. Peter, you're part of a lineage of Danish men whom Balanchine invited to join New York City Ballet through the years, beginning with Eric Brune and then Peter Martins and you and Adam Luders, Eve Anderson. How did you come to dance for Balanchine? I was a principal dancer in London Festival Ballet at that time. And 
I had sort of felt I had outgrown that company. I was developing very quickly, guesting already all over the world. And I really wanted to join the Royal Ballet. But Kenneth didn't want me in the Royal Ballet. Seven years, seven years afterwards, he actually called me and, and asked me to join the Royal Ballet as a, as, a, as a guest and did two ballets for me. So that was, that was, that was quite sweet. But he didn't really want me at that time. The Royal Ballet was a very, very, very close family. They only let Rudolf through the door because he had danced with Marco. Otherwise, history might have been different. Um, so I, 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 I couldn't really get any further with my career, I felt, because I wanted to join one of the big companies. And in, in, in my opinion at that time, my opinion is maybe a little bit different now, but at that time there was really only a very few companies I wanted to join. And I had also gone and, and spoken to Dame Lynette. And uh, she said, I think you should go and join Balanchine in New York. And basically that's what I did. Um, it wasn't as simple as that, but uh, I was invited to, to dance with um, San Francisco Ballet by Lou Christensen, another Dane, of course, the Christensen brothers. He was the first American uh, Apollo. I know. It's all, it's all linked together. So um, he had invited me to go and dance, uh, and I was doing Don Quixote Padre and all that. And on the way over to San Francisco, I stopped in New York to visit Peter, because we had, we had been friends in school. When he left Denmark and I left and I was in Canada, I sometimes would go and visit him, because you know he didn't have a very um, easy start with New York City Ballet. He wasn't dancing at all. So we would be sitting in his flat. There was only a bed and the bed I would sleep on and we'd be sitting eating yogurt in his, in his, in his flat. But anyway, so I stopped over to visit him and I, I went and did a class. And uh, afterwards I thanked Balanchine for the class. And I'm, I might have said, I don't recall that. I might have said, you know, I like to join your company. I don't think I said that though. But I think it was quite obvious when you went and did class that maybe you wanted to. And then I went on to San Francisco. And then the next day, Peter called me and said, you know, he wants you in the company. And I said, well, that's, that's really great. Uh, why don't you stop over New York on the way back to London? And I did stop on my way back. But I don't recall a lot from that. I probably went and did another class, but I don't really recall a lot from that. But I, what I did recall was that when I returned to London, I got a telegram. I mean, there was no faxes or emails. And I got a telegram saying, start in September, a principal dancer, $500 a week, Eddie Bigelow. That's all it said. That's all it said. I, I, I wish I'd kept it now. You know, one, one always wishes that one keeps things, one doesn't. But that's all it said. And Eddie Bigelow, who is such a steadfast assistant to Balanchine and administrator. Of course, of course. So uh, that, was, that was all it said. I never, ever signed a contract the three years I was there. I mean, those were, those were the days where you looked each other in the eyes and you shook hands and, and that's the way it was. It was run like a small company. It was incredible. It was incredible. Mm. Unbelievable.
And Peter, you arrived at New York City Ballet, and how did Balanchine's style of teaching and choreography connect or compare with your Born and Bill training and with the work you've done up to that point? That, that I would say that bit was not difficult because Bonneville and, and Balanchine, both their surname starts with B, and I guess that's for bounce. And the Bonneville beat in the, in the jump is very much with a bounce down on the beat. It's down. All the ballets are, your beat is, so that point of view was not difficult for me, but the rest was shocking because I'd never worked um, with that pace. You know, I always had a ballet master teaching me all the steps and certainly, you know, um, all these ballets were thrown at me and I wasn't a fast learner. I became a fast learner very quickly because you had to. And I think I learned more than 22 ballets. Um, the, the, first, the first autumn season I was there. I didn't dance in that many, many ballets. I think, you know, he just wanted to see what kind of guy I was. Um, I danced just a few very classical pieces. The first one was, was Scott Symphony uh, and a lot of Nutcrackers. <laughs> I think that's Nutcrackers. I mean, all the men was off, off guesting, doing concerts everywhere. And I think I danced with everybody. Yeah. No, I don't think I was allowed to touch Paddy McBride yet. <laughs> that took a little bit of time, to, you know, but I, I did all the other ones. I don't think we did not crack it together. I think it was, I mean, Violet Verdi sort of grabbed me <laughs> the best she could. But I, I think I danced with four or five of the different, but I think I did 26 out of the 40 not crackers or something like that. Yeah. Everybody was off guesting, making lots of money. Good for them. And, uh, but, but that was quite, uh, the beginning was quite shocking that way. But the actual dancing was not, I had a problem because I tried to uh, please Balanchine a lot. So I was doing his class a lot. And his class was very challenging, I would say. Um, and it sort of broke my body. And I did have a back injury while I was there and I came back. And when I came back, I said to him, uh, Mr. B, you know, I really, I was really trying to, 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 to change, you know, and that's, I injured myself trying. He said, I never wanted you to change. I just wanted you to do a few adjustments. <laughs> so one had killed oneself. Um, another thing, you know, that was in the beginning, a little bit, um, not shocking, but taking used to, how we went on without rehearsals. Oh, I know. I know. Amazing. One way of looking at that is, well, if he thinks you can be thrown on, yeah. go for it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. if you're saving the day, by, you, know, you, you know, you try your best. That's all you can do. And we weren't grand because he was our genius. He was our star. We all looked up to him. We didn't feel like we were stars, really. You would just give whatever you had. So you get thrown on, and he was always grateful that you could, you could do it, you know, but he trusted you. It was a little bit hard, but I think I feel the same as what you're saying. You know, if he, if he thought it was okay, it was okay. So from that point of view, yeah, it was very exciting, really. And Peter, how did you find out that Mr. Balanchine was going to choreograph this new ballet, The Steadfast Tin Soldier, for you, and he was going to have you dance with Patty? I think our names were not on the notice board that we had a rehearsal. 
we've just had the Ravel Festival with more than, I don't know, 25 premieres or something. And there was a premiere every two weeks or so. It was just another day uh, at the office, sort of. Yeah, of course, it was what I had come for to have ballast created and all that. And that was great. But I was already a part of the company so much that it wasn't a big deal. You saw your name and you would go to rehearsal and you would be taught the steps and you did the best you could. <laughs> but you know, in, 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 in Europe, you see, when there's a premiere, everybody gives each other presents and, and toy toy and all this big deal. And I, I always, I was much more comfortable with it and it was no big deal because it was our work, it was our life, you know, so. Yeah, a new ballet, you know. New ballet. Well, I was gonna actually ask you a little bit about the, 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 uh, about the story by Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. He's a major figure in Danish culture and literature and could you share with us a little bit about him and his he, relationship? He, he, he's huge, he's huge. And of course he was a great friend of Bonneville. And Hans Christian Andersen wanted to be a ballet dancer himself. And many of his, I would say all his stories is himself. The steadfast tension is really him failing to be a ballet dancer, but being in love with the ballerina. Now, Hans Christian Andersen had this endless love for everybody. He never actually had a relationship with anybody, but he was always in love with opera singers, with ballerinas, with everything. So Hans Christian Andersen, the, 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 the steadfast tension is very much himself. And I know the story very well because when I did my first ballet, which is a long time ago in 1969, when I was a teenager for the Royal Danish Ballet, it was based on Hans Christian Andersen, but it was a modern version of it. Later on in life, after I left New York City Ballet, I also did a Hans Christian Andersen full-length ballet. So I've, I've been, the subject is very close to me. Um, and I feel I know the person because I've really studied it a lot as well. But of course, Balanchine's um, The Steadfast Tin Shoulder is only really the love story between the tin soldier and the ballerina. It, 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 it hasn't bothered with all the other bits and pieces. Like if you did it, if Ashton had done it in England, we would have had all the journey and the, you know, all that, yeah? So this is really just a little love story. And, and watching it this morning, it really, really, really nice. It was very moving, I thought. Because what happens in the end in the real story, that both the tin story is thrown into the fire by the little boy, and then the door opens and the wind comes in and she's blown into the, she's blown into the fire. And then the maid the next morning, morning find a little tin heart, which has the ballerina's little sequence on it. Mm. Could you summarize the whole Hans Christian Andersen story for us? Well, yeah. Um, it's a little boy, and it, in the set in New York City, Ballet is actually a Christmas tree, but it's actually the boy's birthday. And he gets 25, a box of 25 soldiers. And the youngest one only has one leg. And we know it's the youngest one because there was no more tin. Uh, there was no more material to make two legs. So that's why he's one-legged. I remember when I remember one thing when the casting went up, not the casting, but we had to go to rehearsal for this. I was always wondering, how is he going to make me dance on one leg? 
because I knew the story that he only had one leg. So of course he didn't. Yeah, so he, the boy gets uh, 25 soldiers, one has one leg, and that's the main character. And basically he falls out the window and then two boys find him, they make a little boat, they put him in a little boat and he sails down the street and he goes into some uh, canals where there's rats and the rats ask for his passport and all that sort of thing. And then he ends up in the, in the stomach of a fish. And of course, by luck, the fish is being bought by the same place where he saw the ballerina. And he's cut open and he's put back in where he actually came from, in a little boy's room, which has this beautiful paper castle with a little paper ballerina and all the different toys. And then for some reason, the little boy throws him into the fire. And but then the door opened and the ballerina managed to fly into the fire as well. And then they both come out as a little as a little heart um, with a little sequence on it. It's very it's it's very beautiful, but it's very Hans Quentin Anderson. It's very much him being in love with people that he will never ever physically touch. Well, and it's interesting. This is the last paragraph of one translation of Hans Christian Andersen's story, and it connects so clearly with Bornenville's Last Sylphide, which had only premiered in Denmark two years before Hans Christian Andersen wrote the story. And uh, Andersen writes, Then the door blew open, a puff of wind struck the dancer. She flew like a sylph straight into the of fire. Course. The soldier blazed up in a flash and was gone. The tin soldier melted all in a lump. The next day, when a servant took up the ashes, she found him in the shape of a little tin heart. But of the pretty dancer, was no nothing was left except for her spangle, and it was burned as black as coal. It's nice. I liked what I like what he that he just took it and made it, made it the little the little love story between the two people, which mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I really I really like that. It's far too complicated to make the journey and all that. I mean, that, that, it's, it becomes a British pantomime then, I think, very much. And you know. uh, Hattie, did you know this Hans Christian Andersen story or did Balanchine talk to you about the story at all in preparation? No, no, he never, he never talked about it. But I, somehow I knew the story, but not the darker story, the long story about it. I just had heard that there was a paper doll and a soldier and, but, Valentin has a way of telling a story so beautifully. You understand everything. It's so clear the way he, like with Midsummer, how he can tell a beautiful story. And it was Valentin's version of what he wanted to show his audiences. Very touching and beautiful story. You know what? Um, I think I knew I knew the story because I'm Danish and we, we were brought up with these stories. So I knew the story, but I very, all the times I've had to learn a new ballet or a ballet created on me or whatever, I've always tried not to study too much. Yes. Because, yeah. I, because I think you have to go and do what you're, what you're, what, what you're, what you're told um, with the music and then you create your own, you create your own character and your own story. Because yes. if, we, if you wanted, let's just say Romeo and Juliet, yeah? If you wanted Romeo and Juliet like Shakespeare wrote it, you go and see the play, mm -hmm. I, I feel. Mm -hmm. If you right. want to go and see the ballet Romeo and Juliet, you go and see the interpretation of 
Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, whoever staged it, had different ideas with it. I think you should come with an open mind. I, I, I think you did the right thing, not. Uh, oh well, I think it was a wonderful gift for you too to be to be able. He probably had a twinkle in his eye when he cast you, thinking it would be Hans Christian Andersen, and here is Peter Schalfes. <laughs> Doing, doing I, I, I'm not sure, of... but I have a, I, I have, I have, a, I have a feeling because I know exactly where it took place. Although Hans Christian Andersen doesn't say where it takes place, it probably takes place in Christianshavn, in one of those flats out to the canal. <laughs> um, and I, being Danish, you know, I, I, I knew so much about, you know, the lifeguards uh, at Amalienborg, where the queen, where the queen is. I'm sure Mr. B had that in his mind. He'd been to Tivoli with all the, the Tivoli guards. And, you know, I could associate very easily with those things without even thinking about it. Yes. Um, and even the way they marched. Lifeguards marched with the way the accent is down. Down. You know? So I knew exactly how to march when he told me, oh, march forward and do this. I knew exactly what to do because I'd seen them my whole life. You, yes. you see in, Co in Copenhagen, the lifeguards walk through the streets at 12 o'clock, changing the guards every day. So since a little boy, I've seen these soldiers. So I knew exactly in a way without being told what he wanted. Yes, you were ready. He had, seen, <laughs> he had seen it in Copenhagen as well. And that's probably what he had in mind. Yes. We, have this, we have this Danish boy, you know, thinking about Copenhagen. And so it's, yeah. The associations are so powerful there. It's really beautiful. For the both of you, what are your memories from the actual creation of this ballet? Well, I just, you know, like, Mr. it's always a surprise uh, when there's a new ballet done. Sometimes you just don't know what's coming. It was just a charming piece that was commissioned for Saratoga Springs. So he had to work very quickly like he does with all, all of the work that he did. I had never danced with you very much. So this was a real treat for me to be able to, uh, you know, to, to work with you. It was really fun for me to get in there. And um, Balanchine, I guess he, he, he took you alone for your solo. And when he was working with you alone, he took me alone for my solo. And then we worked with the Potida together where Mr. Balanchine, of course, did everything with me first. He'd show, you know, he'd partner me and he'd say, I'll do a little curtsy and, and the, the opening of the potatoes. So it was always very fast. The pace was fast, as you can imagine. <laughs> and it was easy. Wasn't it easy, Peter, yeah. to work with Mr. Balanchine? Wasn't it a dream to be able to just, you know, and he knew you. He knew what you, he'd seen you dance before and he, you were especially chosen for this by him to do this. So it probably gave you a confidence in knowing that Hans Christian Andersen would come to life through Balanchine and this lovely music. I told Mr. B, I said, gosh, this is so great. You know, um, I feel like I'm 12 years old. I feel like I'm just, you know, it doesn't, it's like a, a very different kind of role and very different than uh, say the doll in Coppelia which we premiered the year before where he did the full-length capellium. But, but this was totally different. I didn't want to be like this, you know, no, stiff, no. stiff doll. Yeah. It was very different. And Malachin wanted to have the freedom and it was more human than 
pretending to be a doll. You felt like you were, you were the character who is in love with the soldier. <laughs> and it just was special. We just thought it would be um, done a few times. I had no idea it would last so long. It would go on. People just seemed to be touched by it. And um, you, of course, working together with you is so terrific. It was easy. And Mr. B showed everything so well. I remember him showing you how to walk. Mr. B loved to be the soldier. He of loved course. to, you know, like after you left, he would love showing all the boys how to walk and how to, how to be a soldier. I tell you, he had seen those. I, I knew he'd seen those. I never asked him that, but he had seen those soldiers in Copenhagen when he was there. Yeah, because I, yeah, because I remember show, him showing me the walk as well. I could see what he was seeing. Wasn't it hard, all that heel, using, you're on your heels so much and keeping your legs straight. Wasn't that hard? And then I have to jump after pounding. I, remember, I, 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 think, I think when we were actually doing it, I mean, I loved doing it. I loved the fact it was done on me and created on me and all that and dancing with you and all that. But I think I had done that thing in uh, Babel Festival too, which wasn't all that successful, uh, the, the actual ballet. Rhapsody Espanol. It was not one of those ballads ever there to stay. Oh, I remember but you doing that. There was lots of ballads going on. So it was just a game. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, it was it was really a factory, wasn't it? I mean, all the ballads. Yes. So when I finally yeah. got to do the the, the, the tin soldier, and it was quite successful, I wasn't annoyed, but you know, it's very character, to me character. It is. And and maybe I appreciate it much more now today than I did as a 25 year old, yes. which wanted to take on the world with double cabrioles and pirouettes yes. and God knows what. Yes. Do, do you know what I mean? So, I, so, uh, I, I, I found it very easy to, easy to do with my Danish background. I didn't find it, but again, it's because balancing was so easy to work with. He showed, yes. you everything. he showed you everything on the music. That's right. And it was just the three of us with the pianist in the room, working very intimately, quietly. No drama. Yeah. Just, there was no drama. Just no drama. so no, easy no. And, and simple and, and loving. <laughs> I just remember a few things when Mr. B in, in the solo. There is something where I bend over and then I stretch my arm out, look. Looked at when he said, "Oh, it's Olaniva. You're doing it just like Olaniva." So I like like right. There's a part, but a part of it wasn't such a doll. There was a part of a ballerina with her arms, and you know, part of it I was doll-like, but parts of it weren't. Also.
during the pas de deux, there was, I just loved doing that pas de deux. It was I, so I, I, yeah, I saw, I, I saw you. I saw you this morning, you know, on YouTube, you were lovely. Well, it was so charming. I just, you, you kissed my hand and I'm so happy and we dance and, and you give me the heart. He was so specific in how to take the heart with your fingers so that yes. it shows on the front. Yes. He was very specific with certain things in it. And, and, you know, you do the baby. You know, I was imagining, you know, here was this, you know, a ballerina dancing with your soldier. And then if you, you tell this a little story of what she was imagining. Oh, we're going to get married. Like I take your hand in the pas de deux and we walk forward like we're, there's the marriage. <laughs> and then he has me, had me doing the baby, rocking the baby. And then you give me the heart and I'm just like so touched taking the heart and putting it here and I'm so happy and joyous and so in love with the soldier. And I think he showed the story so beautifully. It was such a, it was so, so much fun. It was a very tiny, small work. Yeah, yeah. But it had so much charm and it was fun. It was also, the finale was killer, <laughs> you know, it was exhausting. <laughs> All the jumping, you had to really give a lot of energy at the end. Didn't you feel that? Well, you got to rest because your solo was right in the beginning. <laughs> you know, and, I, I and could rest while you were dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could, I could get the energy for the finale. Yes, because the it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Solo. Peter Real has way. his solo. Then Patty has her solo. Then you dance together in this sweet padada, and then there's the kind of gallop. uproarious gallop that gallop at the end. And what, what, what were y'all thinking as you would watch the other do their solos at the beginning? I had to be very quiet. It was hard not to move. <laughs> I, I tried to use my eyes and look at him. Yeah, because you dancing. had to stand still. You had to stand still, didn't you? In the first. Yes, you very still for your whole still. solo. So oh, yeah, I would yeah, like, I move my eyes like from time to yeah. time. And it was, it was <laughs> a very quiet movement. But it was very quiet, the music also for the pas de deux. The hardest part for me was falling back. You know, he had me open the window and to look like I was being blown by the wind, you know, and then I started turning. But the hardest part was because we didn't rehearse with the set. So um, when we got on stage, I guess in yeah. Saratoga, we had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was very concise, very tiny space that we actually were dancing. But to get into that fireplace, I said, oh, how am I going to make this work? Because it was tricky because you had to jump over the log, over the fire, and not to fall, not to, you know, so it was a little tricky. I had to try it. And we didn't have a lot of rehearsal to do it, but it was, I was worried that I wouldn't make it look real, you know, so, and we didn't have the set in the studio to work on, but it was so touching to see you. I didn't see it really, but I saw it on video afterwards to see when you pick up the heart push away your tear and it's just very moving and so touching and sweet. But it was over in a flash. <laughs> it was over in a flash, yeah. In a flash. Are there any other favorite steps that you all had in the choreography? The pas de deux is my favorite. I love the pas de deux, just giving your hand 
feeling so young and happy and I love the choreography for it. It was so simple, but so pure. And falling back, you know, there was one point I'd try to hold my back. It was a little tricky. Remember when, when I'd fall back and you'd have to catch me and yeah. I was in sixth position yeah. with a, a point? Yeah. And I tried to really hold my body so I could keep the position and you would help me, you know, holding my spine really strong so it would look very natural. That was maybe the, to make that smooth was hard. Well, it's interesting because both your solos have a choreographic sibling in the repertory. Peter, your solo is very much connected to the soldier doll in Nutcracker. And Patty, your solo with the blowing kisses is very much like the, the dolls in Nutcracker and like your second act choreography for Coppelia. And how, could you say a little more about how that movement quality compares between when you're Swanilda pretending to be the doll in Coppelia versus being the doll in Steadfast and Soldier? Yeah, well, they're very different. And I also, because we had done Capella the year before, I, I just knew I, I didn't say I didn't want it. I just held my arms differently. And Mr. B liked it, you know, mm -hmm. because in Capella, it was very angular. You know, your hands weren't doll-like. They were very stiff and straight. And this was very different. I could use either like a the, you know, the hands that Mr. B worked so hard to get everyone mm -hmm. to do this mm -hmm. beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, the pinky, the forefinger were out and uh, that kind of a doll, which you see on dolls. You see that. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I, 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 I thought that would be work well. And he didn't really, he just said, oh, just stand there. Stand there while Peter's doing his solo. So he didn't really tell me, but I, I, I did it and he liked it. And it was really different than the, the, the doll from Capelia. The whole feeling about it was really different because it was, this was sweeter and, and um, I wasn't playing a role of some, I wasn't being another character. I was being my own character in The Tin Soldier, which was a lot, lot of fun, fun to do. And he gave you a lot of little and blowing kisses. I, a lot of my ballets, <laughs> I had kisses. Every ballet, <laughs> lots of ballets, Harlequin Knot, a lot. And, Every ballet, practically, there was something kissing. And Patty, I always think about it. Mr. B always gave you turns in attitude devant, in Tarantella, in the Coppelia Coda, in Tin Steadfast and Soldier, you do attitude turn with flexed foot, with the foot up in front of oh, you. Oh, right, right. It was easy attitude. for me. I didn't have to think about it. It just was like second nature. <laughs> and it was the, the, the tempo was... You know, the, the, very, the variation started very staccatically. Your legs were very sharp in the very opening. And um, Mr. B did it for me. He showed me every movement, do this and do that. And he's all trying to try your attitude front and it just worked. And so he kept it in. He didn't really change a step, actually. He just did it really fast and it was done. He said, oh, blow a kiss to, you know, the end, this and that. <laughs> and then you applaud yourself at the end. You could really get into the character of, of, of the, the little ballerina doll. And he gives you such fun stuff in it, like you have a little deconstructed adagio where you do like stop motion devlape. Oh yes, that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. And lots of hops on point, a few hops on point. The hardest for me was doing the heel, a PK, just PK turns on the heel. 
it took me a while and I finally got it. <laughs> and it was, it was really lovely, lovely. And then you bend down and you do the Yolanda And I mean, he, he seemed to have fun. He seemed to be in a very good mood while we're doing this. And it was done in the flash. And then we premiered it in Saratoga Springs. We had our New York City Ballet Orchestra in Saratoga Springs, which is so remarkable. Giant uh, stage, outdoors, you know. Uh, well, it was amphitheater, so we were covered, but the, oh, the audience, the sides were all open. And Saratoga has been the company's summer home since 1966. And Patty, you were there that very first year in Saratoga. Yes. What is, what is that experience of being a city ballet dancer right there at the beginning of having this summer home? And then also, what was it like to perform steadfast? Oh, well, it was extraordinary. It was an amazing, was in what, 66? Was it 1966? Right. Well, we didn't know what we were getting into till we arrived there, you know, and we all drove or had transferred. My mom drove me because I wasn't driving at that point, but there was a bus and everyone went and there was excitement. And uh, it was a very small town at the time and everything was new. And we all knew that Balanchine was so excited to bring his company there because it was our home for the, the month of July. We would finish. We had a uh, season at Lincoln Center, usually it was May, June, and though it's different now, but mm -hmm. our season traditionally was always May, June, and we'd have one week off, and then we'd go to Saratoga for four weeks. So we could do some of the rehearsing, some of the ballets would go in, in Saratoga Springs. But um, we loved it. We had the elements. <laughs> we had also, you know, because it was outdoors, so some days were really hot. And some days were really cool. Um, and it was a very heavy schedule. We did many, many ballets, you know, four ballets a night. We opened with A Midsummer Night's Dream. Was magical because we could see the moon outside with the trees. And to do Midsummer there was so really special. the 50th anniversary of the opening night. I was there, Suki Shore and uh, Karin von Arldingen and I think Jacques and Arthur were there and we were reveling. I we could not believe it was 50 years of our opening there. And through the years, we they planted tiny trees at the entrance, the Avenue of the Pines, which you know, and now they were all like giant. Everything, the theater was the same, the audience was the same. And the memories of Mr. B there, the work that he did there, the ballets that he brought. There was a, a really adorable story. You know, the wings were open and, and the air would go there and some nights were really cold dancing there. So Mr. Balanchine, over the night, he brought each and every one of us and bought blankets for us when we were in the wings so we could walk from our dressing room. He and Mally, Madame Pormel, who was our wardrobe mistress, 
got together and he made witty names for each and every one of us and put on our individual blankets so we would be warm. And he was so caring and he wanted, he wanted us to, he wanted this so badly to work and he, he felt so bad that we were going in the cold and having to go on stage. And he, uh, my name was McBridal Pats from the McBridal. Everything was sort of pertaining to the horses because he would love the horses, but I always looked forward to there and I loved being in the open air. It was on the stage and the ballets look so beautiful when I go out front and see the ballets, the proscenium and everything looked amazing. Did you like going to Saratoga, Peter? Did you like I, the experience? I, yeah, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I just want to, to know, and I've thought about that afterwards a lot, where did all the audience come from? All over because, the place. They because, came I mean, we from were there far and wide. Yeah, we were there for months. And you had that huge theater and people sitting up the lawn and all that. I mean, thousands of people every day, every night. Where did they all come from? I know they came from far and wide and they'd spend they the afternoon and they right. drove in and yeah, they yeah, probably yeah. were bussed in all over Albany and uh, there are cities that were not that far away that they could get to and they were they were a lot of people came because they loved the atmosphere they could go on the lawn behind, beyond yeah. and bring their blankets and yeah. have picnics and go there and we would do do you remember the matinees seeing faces yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. We're, we could, it was daylight, so you could see your audience, which was a little disconcerting at first, till, till you did get used to it, but usually we see blackness out there. But to see the, the live audience and see all the, the matinees we do always, I think we did matinees Saturdays and Sundays Ab matinees. Absolutely, yeah. And it was yeah. the same schedule as it was in, uh, in New York. We danced every night, different every ballets night. every night. Yeah. Yeah. And Balanchine was there. Mr. Balanchine was there every performance. He wouldn't miss a, a performance. He was always in the wings. He was very happy that he had this because dancers need to dance. If we weren't working, he would try to get work for the company because he knows that that's how the dancers progress is dancing, dancing a lot. In Saratoga Springs, it was the only time I remember the, the male, male principals were in one dressing room with a door between the principal with us, the ladies and the men, and all of us principals, and it was kind of fun being all together. <laughs> it was the only time uh, in the year that we'd be all together in the room. Mm, it's such a special place. It's such a special place. It is. It is. Peter, Peter, you were in the company for only a brief period of time, but it was a very impactful time for you. And after City Ballet, you went on to dance with major other major companies. You went on to direct the London Festival Ballet, where you changed the name to English National Ballet and developed a school there. And you directed the Berlin Staatsoper Ballet and the Royal Danish Ballet. And you've founded two of your own companies since then. And I just wonder how your time with Balanchine shaped you as an artist, as a teacher, and as a director. I was there for three years <clears throat> only, which is, you know, in a sense, is quite a long time in a dancer's career, but not like other people, like Patty, that was there the whole, the whole career. I think it shaped me a lot in many things. I had, I had to, not just from the dancing point of view, but also from an emotional point of view. I had a hard time when I was there. Uh, it was probably not very, very easy. And, you know, leaving the company, you know, was also difficult for me because I actually wanted to stay there. But I had opportunities 
outside to dance and I had to sort of take them when they were handed to me. And I remember when I realized that I had to leave, it was I, I, I got a chance to dance at the Met with the National Ballet of Canada. It was actually during the South, Saratoga season. And uh, it was to do Swan Leg and Giselle. And of course, that's where I came from. I came from those ballets. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't want to leave New York City Ballet. I remember asking Balanchine if I could, uh, if I could do this. And I remember the best, the best time to get him was always after, after the performance, because he would always, facing the audience, he would always stand on the, on, on the, on the right side. Right. And then he would go across the stage and take the lift up to his office. So I, I, I think I, I picked my time because I think I had danced and I waited until he walked across the stage. And I went to him and uh, I said, Mr. B, you know, I've been, I've been asked to, um, if I can dance at the Met, you know, with a, um, in, in Swan Lake and Giselle. And, and he said, why, why? I said, well, one thing is that dancing, but also they, they pay, they will pay me good money. And, you know, I need to pay for everything. And he said, no, you should just get a, you should just get a smaller apartment. <laughs> and I said, I said, Mr. V, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, really, I would really like to do it. And then he said, you're just like Nureyev and Bohonis. And then he stamped at the floor and then he walked to the lift. And I just knew, I, because you never saw him angry. No. Am I right? And, and that was the, f the closest I saw him to be angry. Uh, and I just, I just knew it was really, um, I really wanted to do it. But if I said yes to doing it, that was going to be the end of it. And uh, I did say yes to do it. And then the, cast, the, <laughs> the casting went up for Saratoga and I was not cast one night. Oh. Four weeks. Wow. And I, I just knew that was the end of it then. And I thought, well, there's a lot of pressure on how I better dance well at the Met. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, that, was, that was really, um, I think it, apart from the obvious, you know, being able to learn fast, uh, working with, with him and great people there, great dancers like you, Patty, and, and other people, um, that's the obvious, you know, what you take away from it. But I think he taught me a lot about loyalty, you know, honor. I mean, I never signed a contract and about simplicity because a lot of it was very simple. I mean, we were 104 dancers, but it was very, it was all very simple and it was uncomplicated. It may be complicated when one had to ask to go and dance somewhere, but but that was again simple because it was black and white. He didn't want me to go, but he didn't want to say no, but he wanted me to know if I did do it, that was probably going to be the end of it. And it was. I got another telegram from Eddie Bigelow. <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept that one as well. You know, a very polite one, you know. Um, that was when I was in Denmark. I was actually together with Stanley when I received it. It was oh, after the oh, And Stanley said, you know, 
you know, call him up. You know, it's okay if you call him up. Um, you know, and I say, yeah, but you know, I've, my, my, I've taken a different path now. And I, I think it would be only, I would go back and then maybe I would leave in another, I have another opportunity to go and dance and it wouldn't be fair on anybody. So, so that's really how it ended. But I think that's what I, what I took away from it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, think, I think he had great loyalty and I think he expected great loyalty, you know? And I think you could only run a company of 104 dancers like that if you had great loyalty from your dancers because all his dancers lo loved him. Yes. I mean, even me leaving, I loved him. So it wasn't like, I, oh, I hate him. Like, you know, you have worked with other people which you dislike maybe, but, but never, you know, he basically got rid of me, but I still loved him. Wow. Because, uh, yeah, loyalty, honor, and simplicity. Loyalty, honor, and simplicity. Yeah. Thank you both so much. It was so much fun to see Peter after 40 years. So much years. fun to see <laughs> you. I just loved seeing you and hearing your stories. They were wonderful. I had no idea all that happened to you. I was wondering what happened to you. So I was so happy to get here and you've done so much. My goodness. So a lot, much. Yeah. And you're still going happen. strong. I'm, st I'm st still going I'm st strong. I'm st yeah, I'm not giving up. <laughs> no. <laughs> and Patty, this has been this has been such a treat, and I and I thank you both for for sharing your stories. Thank you. Thank you. more about Balanchine, Bordenville, Hans Christian Andersen, Saratoga Performing Arts Center, Peter, and Patty, please consult the reading list that can be found in the notes for this podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll join me again to hear the dance.